Hello and welcome to the newest edition of Pro Pharma Talks. Today our discussion is about inhalant medications, but before we get into that, I'd like to remind you to hit review and subscribe. Hello and welcome to the newest edition of Pro Pharma Talks. My name is Alex Hernandez. Alongside me as always is Dr. Craig Stern. And today we have a guest speaker. His name is Dr. Eric Pinishin. He's one of our ex-interns, current mentees. And also he works for a biopharmaceutical company that deals with inhalant therapeutics. So now that we got that out the way, what are we going to talk about today? (laughs) Um, We decided that it was important to talk about uh, inhaled pharmaceutics, whether you're taking them uh, for uh, allergies, whether you're taking them for asthma or COPD, whether you're taking them as um, an inhalant if you have a cough or something like right. that. We thought it important, and especially when there is so much flu and coronavirus and everything going on, that we um, uh, try and help people to understand what are the elements of this uh, simplistically, what's the pharmacology of this, right. so that we can help people to understand what are you supposed to get out of this and and um, how are you supposed to use those inhaled drugs as well. And to be fair, there are a lot of new drugs that are coming out in inhaled forms so that you don't have to take them as shots uh, or <laughs> otherwise. So there are there is a, a movement in the pharmaceutical industry to make many... Uh, common drugs, especially drugs that are shots, uh, taken as an inhalant. Right, and also, Dr. Pinishin, it's springtime, so, uh, you know, I get my allergies caught up a lot. You know, yeah. a lot of sneezing in the office and shouldn't be sneezing in the office. So, yes, um, Dr. Pinishin, please help me. Please help me. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, th- thank you for the warm introduction. I'd be more than happy to discuss uh, some of the different medications you could say. Um, I think it really boils down to, you know, patients who need, like, systemic relief where it's an allergic reaction throughout the body as opposed to, like, a local, uh, you could say, reaction where it's, like, their nose is really cloggy or, let's say, they have a sinus infection, then that's when I think these inhaled products uh, can really help where they're very specific to a local part of the body. Um, it sounds like you're having some allergies, Alex. I would definitely recommend for you to have, like, a nasal spray of some sort, uh, you know, just to get that localization of your uh, sinuses, you could say, to have it clear up. So I think any over-the-counter with a nasal spray will definitely help you uh, in this rough time of our allergy season. Yeah. Yeah. Can I add, too, just so that people understand what we're talking about? We're talking yeah. about, and we're not marketing any particular product. We don't, we don't do that. We're not manufacturers. But um, just for, for definition, we're talking about products like Flonase or Fluticasone for allergy. We're talking about drugs for asthma that you inhale like albuterol and some of the inhaled uh, corticosteroids uh, for COPD. We're dealing with things like Afrin that you take to open up your nasal uh, passages. Uh, There are now even some uh, inhalants uh, for insulin. So those are the kind of products we're talking about and making no particular emphasis on any one of them. Um, Eric, let's talk for a moment about simplistically the pharmacology, because we've talked, we've got to talk about particle size and when you inhale something, what happens to the drug. So um, give us a quick, simplistic view of the pharmacology, please. Yeah, and pretend it's a normal person like me just walking into a store and doesn't know all the science behind it. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, thank you, guys. Thank you for opening up the floor. Um, so I think I'll have to use an example like an albuterol, you could say, and then I can maybe talk about, um, like you said, a new new novel drug, you could say, for insulin. But uh, something with like albuterol, it's going to be a powered device where there's a propellant that helps you move the particle from the device into your lungs. Um, how it occurs, you just shake it, you shake your inhaler, um, you go ahead and spray it into your mouth and do a nice deep inhale. And what's great is because for albuterol, these people um, who are using the product usually have asthma or COPD and it's hard for them to breathe. And this medication works directly on their lungs. So instead of giving themselves an injection or taking a tablet where it's going to take a lot longer for them to react, let's say they're having an asthma attack, they can just take a quick puff of their albuterol inhaler and it goes directly into their lungs and it opens up their lungs uh, within a couple of moments and allows them to breathe and get that breath of fresh air, you could say, that they're um, that's difficult for them to get with their asthma. Um, so it's but like Eric, Eric, let yeah. me interrupt a minute. It's important for people to understand that there is such a thing as particle size. Without getting oh. too technical about it, mm -hmm. I want people to understand that when you're inhaling a drug, you're, you're trying to get small particle sizes so it can make it through the mouth, through the trachea, into the lungs. If they're large particles, then they're going to be deposited someplace in the back of the throat or otherwise. So it's terribly important that we understand that there is a, a whole uh, manufacturing process that makes these particles smaller so that they can pass through to the lungs. I should probably uh, stay on track with that. Um, so you're definitely correct. It depends on how big the particle is. Then that it depends on where it's going to be deposited in the lung. Uh, typically, you want to have a particle that's less than five micrometers. And I can give you a perspective of what a micrometer is. If you were to look at your human hair, a human hair is about 75 micrometers uh, in width, not, not in length, but in width. So these particles are 15 times smaller than the width of your hair in order to get to the very bottom of your lungs, where it's important to get that medication absorption. Um, and the bigger the particle size, so let's say it's a 10 micrometer particle, it's gonna get deposited near the trachea or the top part of your lungs where there's not as much absorption of your medication. So you wanna aim for a particle less than five micrometers in size to get that deep lung absorption, you could say. Perfect, and, and, and Eric, um, and that's great. And that helps to understand. The other thing that goes with that is um, people are always concerned about how much depositing of that drug happens in the mouth, happens in the in the throat, happens uh, before it gets to the lungs, and then people get worried about having fungal infections or other infections. Why don't Why don't you talk about it for a moment so they understand? Because this has everything to do with the technique of how you inhale, but also the particle size. Yeah, of course. Um, I think there's a big distinction in terms of how much gets into your lungs, whether it be like a breath-powered inhaler versus um, versus like a propellant, you could say like an albuterol or an asthma medication. So with patients taking their, you know, albuterol or different medications for asthma, uh, unfortunately the propellant works a little too quickly where sometimes it gets most of it gets deposited onto your tongue or the back of your throat and about five, about one to five percent of it actually gets into your lungs. Um, as opposed to like a breath-powered inhaler, uh, where I know one of these new asthma products, I'm sorry, not asthma products, new insulin products, uh, it's not a propellant-based product, but it's an inhalation where about 20% of it gets into your lungs. Um, so I would say with the propellants, where it's a device helping you get the product into your lungs, 
you do have a higher chance of it depositing onto your tongue or the back of your throat. So just simply rinsing your mouth after inhalation uh, should definitely, you know, cure that, cure the symptoms of that, uh, as opposed to a breath-powered inhaler where it's kind of based on the physiology of your body and the speed of your body, which allows for more drug to get deposited into your lungs. So Great, great. Uh, and that helps, I think about it, with an emphasis on after you use these inhalants to gargle so that, in effect, you're trying to get rid of any deposits of medication onto your mouth, your tongue, your throat, etc., so that you don't have problems with infections, etc. Um, okay. <clears throat> what about um, um, what about how to use these these drugs? You've talked about propellants. You've talked about breath activated. Uh, there's been a lot of talk that part of the problem that people don't get a benefit is because they don't use a good technique. Can you comment on that, Eric? Yeah, I'll definitely, um, I, I definitely want to have your uh, your advice as well on this, uh, Dr. Stern, but I think from my experience, um, patients have difficulty timing, you could say, when they press the propellant as opposed to inhaling, so they kind of have like a, it's like a hand-eye coordination uh, kind of technique issue, but in, in a simple consultation that I'll usually give patients is uh, for them to shake their inhaler, um, you know, you want to shake it for about five seconds before using it. Um, and typically what I say is when they put the inhaler to their mouth, to start taking like a small breath in, like a small inhalation, like a, and once they start that slow inhalation, they can press the top of the inhaler in order for the dose to come in. And once they hear that dose click, then they could do like a big inhalation. So, um, so the medication moves into their lungs. Uh, typically, that's what I've found is patients have that hand-eye coordination, and there's a great product called a spacer for people with asthma. It's typically used for children where uh, they don't have to have that hand-eye coordination, and they can just spray the product into a device that holds the medication, and they could do a deep inhalation at that point with no hand-eye coordination needed. And I think that's the biggest challenge for some of these patients is the hand-eye coordination of using the product. Has there has there been any uh, movement to make uh, the inhaling of some of these products cooler, like a uh, vape product? <laughs> what do you, you want to mean? Be cold? No, meaning you know they got all these vape pens and they got all kinds of different cool gadget ways to smoke these these uh, tobacco products that are some may not be tobacco products, but all in all, taking all that tobacco stuff out and make it look like a cool pen, like, oh, I need my asthma. I could take a pen to my mouth and just kind of inhale that way. We would only get a question like that from you. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> the regular person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I, I definitely want to hear your opinion on this, uh, Dr. Stern, as well, but I think the number one issue is the dose. Uh, if they can somehow find, like, the right you know, I guess temperature setting on a vape, uh, right dose, right amount, then I think that'll work out well. But the whole issue is with the amount of dose that a patient's getting for inhalation. Right. Uh, some patients can inhale for two seconds. Some can do a 10-second inhalation. I want it, it, your opinion on this. It doesn't have to be heated, you know. You can well, press a button okay, and it okay. comes down. It let's doesn't have some, to be that. Let's put some <laughs> science into this. Um, the bottom line in science is that um, just taking little puffs in the rest, Eric is absolutely right. Mm -hmm. You're not getting a dose. You're, you're just getting some puffing. Maybe you look cool or you don't look cool. Um, these drugs are not designed to make you look cool. Um, <laughs> what these drugs are designed to is to help 
treat a particular uh, problem. Right. And the idea is to get it into the body, get it to the place where it's supposed to work, do it quickly so that you get a response faster than if you took a tablet or right. if you took an injection. The idea being that somehow you're going to make sure that they're getting medication right away to the locale, opening up the lungs, opening right. up the sinuses, so that, in effect, you're going to get a benefit. Being cool is was not part of the design. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, neither was when they when they started to flavor Tylenol. Yeah, you know, like true. the problem was compliance, right? Yes. And society, I mean, people want to look cool. They don't want to be hanging out with their friends and then bring out their asthma inhaler. You know, I mean, sometimes being well, cool we'll, is we'll better put, than breathing. We'll put. <laughs> Oh, God. Um, <laughs> we'll put that on the back burner so that all the manufacturers can look and decide if they want people to look cool while they're trying to treat their asthma. But the basic science is you need to get a dose. You need to get an effective dose. Mm -hmm. You need to get a dose that's going to work now. That's the plan. Cool or not, <laughs> color or not, flavor or not, doesn't matter. All right, Eric, mm -hmm. you get on that and get back to us. <laughs> <laughs> In the year future, they get paid. TV determined. Yeah. Um, uh, Eric, uh, let's talk for a moment about complications. What about complications from these inhaled medications? I've mentioned a little bit about issues where it's deposited in the mouth or throat and you deal with fungal infections or, or uh, uh, general infections. Uh, let's talk about complications for a moment. Um, every drug has... A, a side effect. What are we dealing with here, Eric? Yeah, that's, that's definitely a great question, Dr. Stern. I think there's you know the benefits of having an inhaled product, but then there are some side effects you could say. And I think the most common side effects are going to be cough or throat pain or irritation because you are introducing a foreign particle, whether it be the little dust or the inactive particles in the inhaled medication or the active ingredient as well can irritate your throat or your lungs, which is going to generate a cough. And usually these coughs uh, tend to go away within a couple of minutes. If the cough does persist, then there's probably something uh, that the patient is having a negative reaction to. So, um, yeah, typically they, they can select from a variety of products that will help the patient have a different, different inactive ingredient or different active ingredients that might help them as well. Um, and I think you had alluded to this before where some medications uh, like your inhaled corticosteroids, like your fluticasone, uh, or some other medications that have a steroid, they can actually lead to fungal infections on your tongue if you don't uh, rinse out after using the products. So, aside from the cough and throat pain, uh, there are some products that can lead to uh, fungal infections if you don't rinse out your throat or rinse out your tongue after using the product. Um, I believe that new insulin product actually leads to small decline in lung function. Uh, it's a non-clinically significant decline, but there is a small decline in lung function. Uh, so some of these products may be associated with a small decline in lung function as well. So there's a variety of side effects, usually limited to the lungs, you could say, and the throat, as well as the mouth. So. But, um, Eric, let's talk for a minute also. Um, these drugs aren't given in isolation. Um, in fact, there are tests that one does both for the lungs uh, FiO2 and vital capacity and things like that. And people may not want to know all the specifics about it, but these drugs don't exist without concomitant testing that goes on in order to find out if, in fact, they've worked. 
Uh, will you comment on that, please? I definitely think there's like a subjective and there's an objective perspective on this. So subjectively, a patient with asthma is having difficulty breathing. They're waking up in the middle of the night. They're having an asthma attack. Uh, subjectively, the way to test this is that their amount of attacks or the breathing episodes are getting a lot better. So that's a subjective way for patients to find out that the drug is working. But objectively, you know, for us clinicians, we like to see the numbers. And typically, there's a variety of spirometry tests or um, even simpler for patients using a peak flow meter where they can see how much they're exhaling uh, with their peak flow device. It's a very simple handheld device, which they use in the morning uh, to see how, how the breathing is going. And it can get very complex with spirometry where you sit into like a chamber and you're hooked up to a breathing device and they get to see your you know total lung capacity, your FEV1. There's a variety of uh, factors, I think, but for patients, the most important thing is object objectively, how are they feeling? Are they breathing better? Are they having less episodes of asthma? Uh, even for patients with diabetes, are their blood sugars getting under control with the inhaled insulin? So there's a variety of subjective matters that can work for patients and uh, want to see from your experience, what, what are some of the key factors or highlights you could say for patients using inhaled products from your experience, Dr. Stern? Yeah, um, I, I, your points are entirely on point, uh, Eric. The, the issue that we have is, what does success look like? So if you use an inhaler, and you want to have some success in having taken the drug, what does success look like? And you can if, breathe. If you, yeah, you can breathe. Yeah. I mean, to be simple, simple yeah. about it, you're having trouble breathing, you have wheezing, uh, you know, noises when you're breathing, you have issues with regard to, um, to uh, your ability to breathe and feeling kind of uncomfortable that you can't seem to get enough oxygen in or not. Those are the kind of subjective things that are going on. The objective thing is to deal with the spirometry and the things that Eric was talking about so that we know what's going on, we know what is happening um, on an objective way, but subjectively, bottom line is what uh, Alex has said. Are you, it is breathing easier? Are you yeah. able to handle it? And furthermore, um, in some of the drugs, as they move with insulins and others, then there's blood tests that you do in order to find out what your blood sugars are, what your hemoglobin A1C is, et cetera, to deal with it. So my apologies, Eric. I keep calling you Eric because you were one of my interns. But uh, Dr. Pinichin, um is, is now fully um, um, uh, aware and, and certainly has reached that point where, uh, where he deserves it and should be credited. Um, I guess the other thing for us is um, people talk about compliance all the time with drugs. Right. Are people complying with drugs? Bottom line being manufacturers that like it so that they can sell more drug. People would like it so that they can get the optimal benefit of it. Uh, Eric, uh, uh, Dr. Pinishin, any thoughts with regard to good compliance and how do you, how do you address that with regard to the inhalants? I think the first and most important thing, uh, as you can you can vouch from your pharmacy experience, is being uh, adherent to the regimen that your doctor's prescribing. Uh, let's say you have to take your your fluticasone or your inhaled corticosteroid for your asthma twice a day, and you have to take your albuterol every time before you take your inhaled corticosteroid. So twice a day, you find that a lot of patients only take it as needed for their asthma symptoms, as opposed to understanding that their steroid is used for maintenance and their albuterol is usually used for a rescue. So a lot of patients take it as needed 
as opposed to treating the actual underlying issues. So I think adherence is a very, uh, very big issue. If patients were to actually take it as prescribed, then I think they'll find a lot bigger benefit. But uh, adhering to your regimen that your doctor prescribed, which is based on guidelines and you know recommendations from thousands of physicians, I think is probably the number one most important thing. Um, and making sure that you're comfortable with taking the product, like you know, you're not going to be driving a truck, you could say, when you have to do your insulin inhalation or you have to do your albuterol uh, when you're driving a truck, trying to find the right time of day that fits around your schedule in order for you to take the medication comfortably without any uh, without any delays, you could say. Um, I, I want to hear about your perspective as well, Craig. How, how can patients increase their, I'm sorry, Dr. Stern, how can they increase their compliance, you could say, or benefit from these medications as well, aside from adherence and those, those timings, you could say? Well, I can, I can tell you one way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is? Make it look cooler. Oh, God. Here we I'm go. telling you, it <laughs> oh <my> works. <laughs> it works. Not just from a branding standpoint, <laughs> yeah. but the patient would want to take it out. And be like, oh, what was that? Oh, that's my, my pen. You know? Well, we'll, <laughs> we'll give that recommendation to all the manufacturers so that they know. Um, um, uh, we need to get past the doctor thing, Eric and Craig. The, the, the issue that we have here is exactly as Eric has, has recommended. We have medications, especially respiratory medications for asthma, uh, COPD, but right. also true with fluticasone that you use as a nasal steroid to deal with your sinuses. Bottom line here is there are two kinds. There's rescue and there's control. Control is something you take all the time um, on a scheduled basis as the doctor has prescribed it, and you do that so that you're getting prevention over time. Usually in these kind of medications, you don't see the benefit of that for two or three weeks until uh, after you start. So in fact, they're seeing that, um, that the medication over time is improving your condition. Rescue is purely when you have an immediate problem, you can't breathe, you're having difficulty, your nose is filling up and you can't address it. That's when you take a rescue and you're trying to make sure that the immediate problem is solved while the control problem, the, the inhaled corticosteroids or others are going on all the time to try and keep it better, to lengthen the time between one exacerbation and another, and to ensure the fact that people are getting a good benefit over a long period of time versus a individual time. You'll still have a need for rescue. There'll still be a time where you need to have an immediate solution. But over the long term, as we say, we're trying to make sure that it, it begins to solve the problem, it lengthens the time in between acute exacerbations, and hopefully helps um, uh, the individual who's taking it. Hopefully, it looks cool enough to make Alex happy, <laughs> but if it doesn't look cool enough, then turn around take your inhalations, and then turn around and look cool. Leave the room for a second. Yeah. And just, uh... <laughs> yeah, so, well, one of the things I wanted to, to ask you was, um, and as we start to, to um, bring this discussion to an end, we, we want to talk about, we talked about inhaling medications, talk about what it's used for, we talked about um, compliance issues, and what I wanted to talk about was, any advancements in technology? Because we, we, we've always talked about 
um, technology getting into the healthcare system, and it's slow, but it is happening. And has there been enhancements from from um, the, the inhalant therapeutic side? Yeah, um, Eric, why don't you take that for a moment, and then I'll add to a few comments. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm not. I know that some of the new inhaler products, you could say, are trying to make it easier. Uh, making it easier for patients to inhale the product and have that hand-eye coordination as we we're discussing. Right. In terms of delivery devices themselves, I think they're switching over to like a dry powder inhaler where it's more of a breath power device uh, for some of the products, but there's not like much in terms of the actual delivery device or getting more of the dose into the patient's lungs. Hmm. Um, I believe with the inhale of porn, they are making a device where it's something they snap onto the inhaler and they can see how hard the patient has to inhale in order to get the appropriate dose. So they're using technology to show patients what an appropriate inhalation technique is. And I think that um, that should be kind of a standard that other companies should move forward to is to develop a simple technological piece that patients can snap onto their inhaler and they can see how their inhalation technique is in order to get real-time coaching. So I think that should be a good, good, good advancement forward, you could say. Yeah, I believe the I, next one is probably creating an app so that you can see. <laughs> well, right there on your phone. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 to add to what Dr. Pinichin has said is this, and that is, um, respiratory meds have always been just for drugs that deal with breathing. Right. Um, uh, drugs that deal with um, with allergies like fluticasone, Flonase, and all of those are there in order to try and help your allergies, your nasal symptoms, things like that. So the first thing that's happening with all of this is to add drugs that normally don't necessarily deal with the lungs, but to deal with drugs that deal with more, uh, 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 not just symptomatic, but um, uh, problems that deal with systems in the body, like inhaled insulin, and certainly there's going to be other inhaled drugs to deal with other systemic kind of issues. That's number one. And number two is what Eric's talking about, and that is compliance does matter. And now the question is, are there ways to measure whether you have complied well so that you know that, in fact, you're getting the full benefit of the drug? And if you're not, then you can change your technique and get a better benefit. And if so, then you're at least comfortable enough that your inhalations and what you're taking are reaching the right spot in the body to get the benefit. So those two things are happening. They're certainly progressing with time. And I'm sure that we'll see more inhaled drugs that deal with um, uh, things other than breathing, other than lungs, because the fundamental issue here is get a drug, get it into the system, get the benefit of it right away and make it more comfortable for the patient so they're not taking shots or perhaps they're not taking very large uh, tablets or capsules that are hard for them to swallow. That's the bottom line and that's what's going to happen. Yes, I'm, I'm done with the questions. Anything else you'd like to add? Well, Dr. we're all looking cool I while mean, we're talking about this. I put it out because there twice. Of you. I mean, I don't think... <laughs> I think I, um, Eric, many thanks for your time, for your expertise, uh, for uh, uh, joining us. Uh, we look forward to talking to you again, uh, but stay healthy. Yeah, thank you, Craig. Thank you. And I uh, want to add one more thing before I do a closing is um, I think we've all seen what's been happening recently with the whole e-valley. That's uh, electronic 
uh, associated lung infection, you could say, where people are vaping unknown products into their lungs with these vape pens. Mm -hmm. I, I think there needs to be more legislation on inhaled therapeutics by the FDA or some sort of, uh, you could say, I guess you could say, yeah, governing agency where they have more regulation over these products, which kids, teenagers are inhaling without knowing what they're actually inhaling. So we can make this a safer market. I think a lot of these misconceptions can be kind of cleared from the air. So hopefully moving forward in 2020, we'll have more regulation on uh, products out there on the market that kids and teenagers are readily available to purchase. So they have safer products to use, you could say. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. great point. Great and, point. And your point is being hit at home. Um, and besides all the other things that are going on, I am seeing more and more people standing up to the vape kind of business talking about these um what, what you're talking about with the inhaled products not knowing exactly what is in these inhaled products it, it's coming out more and more in the media and you should expect especially with the election coming up people are going to be using it as a topic as well mm, very good yeah. very yeah. good okay any, any else things you'd like to add no i think we've done it i hope everybody stays well yes and everybody yeah. everybody at home please wash your hands <laughs> continue to sanitize and um Anything you'd like to add, Eric? Uh, no, I wanted to thank uh, thank you, Alex, and thank you, Craig, for having me on this podcast. That's a wonderful way to start off the weekend, you could say. Thank you guys for your time and everything <laughs> you've done for me ever since I've been a pharmacy student. So thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It was a pleasure. You could take a humble bow on that one. Though, yeah, sir. thank you. <laughs> See? <laughs> but I want to look cool like you. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's going to come. I'm it's going to come, yeah, yeah. Inhaled allergy pens or non-allergy pens. I'm talking about. Inhaled insulin pens. I mean, it's it's coming. Trust me. Okay, I trust you. <laughs> Dr. Pinishin will find it before we do. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's it for this week's topic. Um, we would like to remind you back at home to go to ProPharmaConsultants.com. We have a free information page called RxInfoX that has all the current healthcare topics from various journals of medicine and so on and so forth. Um, we also have Pharmacy Benefit News, uh, bi-weekly articles written by Dr. Stern himself. And um, that's all for this week. We will see you next time.